Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Ezzafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording on October 22nd. And before I dive in, just want to share with you um, the newest book by us. And by us, I mean Book Riot, not me and Erica. It is <laughs> Reading the Stars. Um, and it will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life. So are you a Libra who prefers balance and fairness or a Pisces whose emotional intelligence demands a vulnerable memoir? Reading the Stars offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, and understand your own sign and learn about others. So whether you know your birth chart by heart or you're just getting curious about astrology, Reading the Stars is for you. Publishers Weekly calls Reading the Stars an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent. And through October 31st, which is coming right up, you can enter to win Reading the Stars with an obvious state celestial print, notebook, and tote bundle. You can find a link to the giveaway in the show notes. Um, So check that out. And okay, I'm going to kick us off because Erica and I, I feel like we've talked about, like we've talked about how much we like Lizzo before, right? Of course. Yes. We've talked about this to each other. I don't know if we were. I don't know if we said it on on air. Oh, actually, yeah, good question. (laughs) Reading the stars reminded me, did you see the um, TikTok video of Lizzo being interviewed? And they were like, do you know that your sign might not actually be your sign? And she like goes through and talks about how much she would hate being an Aries. Like, I'm not super into astrology, but it cracked me up. (laughs) I need to see. Okay, so I have had some problematic Aries friends. <laughs> like I, Aries and I have been like we've been friends and it like crashed and burned. So I really I felt that I felt that on an emotional level. That's hilarious. I have not seen that. I'm gonna look it up right after we. Yes, after we're done recording, it's hilarious. That is so funny. I do not know a ton about <laughs> astrology. I just know that I'm a Taurus and Lizzo's also a Taurus, and she was like. Mm-mm. she's like I could be down with get being a Libra but I could not be an Aries it yeah. cracked me up so I just had to have that little interlude here sorry to all the the YA fans listening who are like wait this is not a Lizzo podcast what are we talking about is it, is it not though <laughs> I think it could be the two go hand in hand Lizzo should release a YA book I want Lizzo yes so I mean we could just have an entire appreciation episode Right Honestly, here. yeah, like live. Ooh, an episode of like why books Lizzo should be. Yes, like yes. Lizzo energy. <gasps> okay, filing that away. I'm already thinking of books, so okay, we need to like, we need to table this, but we're gonna yes. come back to this. We're coming back to this. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yes. Oh, oh, awesome. Love it. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so anyway, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. We had a staff retreat in LA. It was the first time I've been that far west um, and first time I've been to California. So it was interesting. That's exciting. It was exciting. I wasn't super hot on LA, but I'm glad I went, of course, because it's like, I want to travel more and see different places. The people were funny, like kind of funky. <laughs> yeah, but the place was pretty, pretty and also bright. <laughs> like yeah. It had, it had a different... Like I'm into I'm, in, I'm into a little grime though. Like I like New York City, you know, mm-hmm. a healthy dose of a little grit. You know what I mean? Yes. Have you ever been to California? I have. It's been ten years since mm. I was last in California, and I'm currently having a mini breakdown. Oh. just thinking about that. Like oh. now that like I, I need to go back to California, but like I was just being like, oh yeah, I was in California a few years ago. And then I realized it was ten years ago. I um, see. So ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I was in LA ten years ago, and it was for a book thing, and. It was it was really fun. It was just mm. like for a short weekend. Um, and it was in like February. So, you know, I'm from Michigan and I go from like 15 degrees yes. to 70 degrees in February. And my yes. poor body did not know how to react. It was just like, wait, what's going on? What's going, yeah, it was so it was such a weird transition. Like I started that day needing a sweater and like seeing my breath in the air ended in like traveling there ended in it being like 75 and the next day it was like 90 it was i will say it was really fun 
the surrounding island, and I maybe I didn't explore enough, but like some of the people were funky, but it was actually the first time I met my coworkers because we were remote. So I met like the other full-time book riot staff and they were super fun. Awesome. That sounds so cool. Wow. All right, so we are going to get to our um, topic of the day and our news item. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle. Walk Ride Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk Ride Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kane, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk Ride Paddle by Tim Kane. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, what news item do you have for us today, Erica? So. Glad you asked, Tears of Haley Kiyoko is going to write a YA novel based on her song that went viral called Girls Like Girls. It is a coming of age novel and it's going to be, yeah, based on the song. Um, the publisher says that it goes a step further to tell a story about messy beginnings and learning to love hard no matter what or who you want. Oh, actually, so Kyoko got her start as a band member of a group called The Stunners, a Los Angeles pop band in 2007, which I did not realize. She's acted in certain movies. She's in Scooby-Doo movie and stuff like that. So I thought this was an interesting thing. Um, I haven't really heard of too many books, YA or otherwise, being based off of viral hit songs. So it's interesting. I don't know. I wasn't really super familiar with Hayley Kyoko, but if y'all, I'm curious if anyone like, it looks interesting. Literally all I know about her is she had this song with girls kissing and people like lost their minds on the internet. So. Oh, that, you knew that even. I didn't even know. That was all I knew. (laughs) I think that's, yeah. Well, and I was going to say the only other YA novel I know that's based off of a hit song is um, Girl on Fire. Okay. Which, you know, is a graphic novel that actually just came out this this year, I think this year. But, um, you know, the Alicia Keys song. So um, that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. I like the connecting it to music and connecting those two uh, create, creative albums. I think that's cool. Yeah. So we'll have to uh, keep an eye out for that YA novel. Mm-hmm. So our topic today is horror novels which i am i can't believe i'm saying this because up to like a few years ago i did not like horror and i avoided it like at all costs but i'm actually really excited about this topic today um because i've been yeah i've been exploring more horror and there's a lot of really good stuff out there and i feel like 
you know, if you dig back, you see that there's always been, like, YA horror. Yeah. And a lot of it's not been, like, super mainstream in YA, but, like, it's it's been there. Um, but I feel like we're starting to see more YA horror written by um, more diverse authors as well. Mm-hmm. And then just, like, more of it and more of it, like, reaching the mainstream YA status, which is exciting. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. So, like, do you like, do you like horror movies? Um, horror movies stress me out yes. so much. Okay, same friend, same. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's the visual aspect of it yeah. for me because I feel like when I'm reading a horror novel, I can take it at my own pace. And there are some things in horror novels that really just like you know get into your brain and never leave, but. I can also sort of somewhat control how how yeah. freaked out I get by reading as opposed to, like, watching. I, sometimes I feel like when I'm watching a horror movie, I'm, like, this captive audience. And I, you know, like, I'm being forced to just kind of yeah. take take the story, like, not at my own pace, but at the pace of, like, the director. Yeah. And so sometimes that is not, like, great for me. But... I have the great fortune of being married to a wonderful person who adores <laughs> horror novels or horror yes. movies. They adore everything horror. Right. Like, it's been, like, full-on 24-7 horror in my house since, Bless like, August. Tears, I know. Since August. That's a, <laughs> that's a minute. It's a little early. It's a little early. Yeah, like, they will watch every sort of, like, you know, B-rated horror novel from you know or not horror novel i keep saying novels horror movie Mm -hmm. um starting from august to like all the way through october and so i have had to expand my viewing of horror movies and because of that i have found some that i actually really liked and i feel like i've slowly sort of inched into becoming a consumer of the horror genre. Um, And then that kind of led me to like want to explore books. And then because of the books, I'm like, oh, okay. I think I like horror books more than horror movies. Yeah. yeah. So like there's some horror movies and shows that like I absolutely know are not for me and I will not watch. And Mm -hmm. I'm much more, you know, easily talked around to watching certain things. But there's an understanding also in my house that if it's really scary, the light needs to be on. The and light I needs need to, to be like, on. The light and needs I need to be someone on. holding my hand. Right? <laughs> and I need to be knitting because when I'm stressed or I'm nervous, like if I have like my knitting to focus on, then I can get through it. Oh, and, Taylor, you're so precious. Yeah, I know. It makes my partner sad because their ideal, like, horror movie viewing is, like, completely dark and of focused course. on the movie. And yeah. I'm like, no, it's too scary. <laughs> but it's too scary for my nerves. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how I feel about horror. How about you? I, I'm i kind of the same, except I don't have a partner to kind of, like, gently ease me into horror movies. Or just drag you in. I feel like that's how my partner did it. They were like, we're watching this. And I was we're like, okay. Watching. Okay, a gentle drag. <laughs> I've I've had friends. I've only ever watched, like, I've started watching horror more. But um, I've watched it because my friends wanted to. So that was, that was a, a slight dragging, but not really. Because, you know, it hasn't been, like, ubiquitous in my house since August. So I definitely <laughs> haven't had as much exposure. But as I've gotten older, I've definitely been getting more and more intrigued by horror novels which is interesting so when you said that like as you have gotten older you're more interested I'm like huh me too I wonder what that is because I definitely am uh have been on my life weenie when it comes to um when it came to horror movies and um I was gonna ask like I wonder like I feel like do you ever feel the same so the scariest horror movie that you've seen have you ever gotten that same amount of fear from my horror novel Ooh. You know what I mean? Like, is it the same? Because I'm thinking, like, you know how some horror movies, they have jump scares, and those can be effective, even if they're, like, over, like they're overdone in the horror film genre, like, overall. Yeah. They still can be, they still can be effective, especially for my little spooky self. Yeah. So, my little scary self. So, they can be effective. But I'm like, can, are horror, are those, like, as effective in novels? And I'm just like, what makes a horror novel scary? Is it different from what makes a horror movie scary? You see what I'm saying? That's, that's a very good question. So mm. jump scares for me, like jump scares get me all the time. I feel yeah. like I'm a little bit better at anticipating them, but also mm-hmm. even if I'm anticipating them, they still get me. Like yep. 
everybody's always laughing at me because I am the person who's literally like, ugh, when during, you know, movies because and everyone's like, it was coming. And I'm like, I know it was coming. It still got me. Um, but you don't really get those jump scares in horror books. So I think you kind of have to build the tension and like the scariness in different ways. So let me just think about how I want to say this. The things that scare me, I think, in horror movies and horror books aren't necessarily, like, jump scares, but it can be, like, elements or, like, mm. certain things, like, like, creepy kids will always get me. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. There was um, a YA novel that I was thinking about talking about on this episode and I ended up not focusing on it just because I wanted to talk about some newer releases and this one came out a while back and I think it's out of print but it's called The Devouring by Simon Holt and it's about this teenage girl whose younger brother basically gets possessed Mm. and like it's so creepy because it's a creepy kid and like so that book even though I read it like many years ago it still kind of sticks out in my mind. Yeah I was gonna say but I think, I think the thing that has creeped me out the most about, I'm trying, okay, so there's two things, two books that come immediately to mind is like the scariest things I've ever read or the things that maybe they're not like scary, scary in like an objective sense, but like they burrow their way into my yes. brain. Um, the first book is not even a YA book it, and it's not even fiction. It's I'll Be Gone in the Dark which is the um, true story of the Golden Gate Killer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there were there's like a chapter where the author talks about like how he like cased houses and how he got into them. And I was reading that while I was like at the time I was living with my parents and I was home alone for the weekend. And I was so freaked out by that because I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I could die if this person was, like, actually, you know, casing my house. And then what if there's someone else that's like him? Ooh. Right. Yeah. That we don't even know about. Even know and that. then on a the similar vein, um, another book that really freaked me out was um, White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. Because it's a story of, like, there's something going on in the house. And, like, they can't figure out, like, if it's haunted or if somebody's messing with them. Mm. And... You know, not to like give anything away, but one of the like I don't get particularly freaked out by like stories of like ghosts or demons or anything like that because I don't sit around like worrying about things being haunted. But like I know that there are like truly messed up people in this world, and the idea of like somebody like being in my house and me not knowing like that's scary to me. So that's what kind of creeps me out. That is creepy. Yeah, I feel like the novels for me, for them to be like, to like really burrow into my subconscious or like the scary part of my brain, it's like a psychological thing and it's like kind of rooted in reality. Whereas sometimes with the movies, there can be demons or like boogeymen or whatever and they're, you know, doing jump scares and stuff and that's scary, but the novels kind of stick with you. It'll stick with me a little bit. Yeah, so. As a friend once told me, you can't poke out your mind's eye. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Nice way to segue into your first book. Oh, yes. So um, speaking of my first pick, uh, White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that I have talked about this book before. Mm -hmm. It's because I love it so, so much. It is about a teenage girl named Mari and she um, is black and um, so obviously so is her mom and her her brother but her mom has recently married a man who is white and who has a white daughter and it's let's say it's not a very smooth transition um, into going to being a blended family and it's made even more difficult by the fact that they move across country to a small or not really small but like a midwestern town that um is going through a revitalization and it's partly because her mom has gotten this amazing fellowship. It seems like a dream come true and it comes with a brand new free house. And as a creative and artist, I'm like, man, tell me what fellowship will give me a free house because that's amazing. Tell me, (laughs) please. 
<laughs> yeah. So they move into this town and they move into this house and it's really kind of creepy. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this um, community is modeled after like Detroit mm-hmm. in, in Flint and like that area mm-hmm. where, you know, there used to be a very thriving um, community. It used to be a very thriving black community economic factors, legislative factors, um, and drugs have really affected the communities. And so when they move in, like their house is the only one on the block that's like actually not like condemned or empty because like all of them around are just, you know, there's nobody living in the houses. They're run down. And this company that her mom won the fellowship from has fixed up this house. And it's like a very nice fixed up flipped house. And it's kind of weird, though, because they're like, there's nobody around, you know. Mm. And the black community there is very suspicious of them and especially of them living and moving into this house. Mm. And so immediately weird stuff starts happening in the house. And Mari is kind of trying to figure it out. And she's also um, dealing with some recovery from um, mental health breakdown. And there's also an interesting subplot about how um, she uses pot to kind of control her anxiety. And it is illegal in this place. And so that, um, you know, it was really interesting because I have not read many, if any, YA books that kind of have you know, a character who who does use marijuana, but it's not like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible, terrible thing. Like, it's a more nuanced take on that. Um, so I I like that part about the book. It was just interesting. So yeah. all this is going down, and then she starts digging into the history of the town and the history of the block and the history of her house. And there's some really shady stuff going on. So I will leave it at that. Mm-hmm. It was really scary. It was also really interesting, like, social commentary on a lot of elements that really do kind of come together. And I think that what's really impressive about this book is um, Jackson is able to, like, weave together so many different elements into this one really scary and very cohesive narrative. So that is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And it came out last year, so it's out now in paperback. I'm so terrible because of the name Rebound. It's very scary. (laughs) This is a good time to read that one too. Because I was like, ah, I need to read October. I always have all these books I'm going to read for October that I don't get to because it's only one month. But I want to read more than a month's worth of books. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Like, like I want to just revel in the seasons, seasonal spookiness. That sounds really good. You always make it sound that that sounds good. Read it, and I do like to. It's just interesting to think of. Um, I mean, maybe that's an episode, but so often a lot of YA books leave out real things that teen, a lot of teenagers are doing, like smoking weed to self-medicate or mm-hmm. anxiety or depression or something like. Like so many people do that, and um, yeah, yeah. Well. Whatever your thoughts are about, you know, using marijuana in any of its forms, Mm -hmm. like, I've lived in a state where it's legal, and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I now live in a state where it's not legal, and, you know, it's still kind of everywhere, but just not as obvious. And the reality is, like, I currently, you know, work three to four days a week in a building that is connected to a high school. And it's in a really rural Iowa. And, like, teens are vaping every single day. So, like, it is a reality. No matter where you live in the U.S., if you're a teen, your teen is probably being exposed to this stuff. So um, I do appreciate that it was, like I said, a nuanced take on what it's like for real teens to, you know, be using and being exposed to marijuana. Yeah, just realistic. So first book I have to talk about is also based in reality. And I, I, or based in reality, There are fantasy elements, but what I should say is a lot of what makes it horrible for me, like makes it scary, is that um, is something, it's that it has elements that happen in real life, and Mm -hmm. those are some of the most terrible elements to me. The book is The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. I have mentioned it before, I believe when we were talking about the audiobooks, because audiobook was performed by Kevin R. Free, who is 
mm, chef's kiss like so good um so i definitely recommend that it is the book the blurb says it's get out meet something else and i'm just like not really because <laughs> <laughs> i was looking at the blurb just to remind myself because i read it a while ago I just wanted to remind myself, like, some of the characters' names and stuff. I still, like, very much remember it very well, and I remember really enjoying it. But I'm just, like, they love to say get out. But basically, it's about Jake. And he is one of the few black kids at a prep school in Atlanta. And he has a brother that's there. But Jake is kind of, like, more quiet. He's gay. And he, like, kind of gets bullied. And also, Jake can see dead people. He can kind of see the other side of like this parallel world that where like ghouls and stuff exists. So most of the like ghouls basically that you can see, they're stuck in what's called death loops, which is like where they relive their final moments over and over, which sounds so terrible and you know, it is. They don't really interact with people like that, but then one day there's this new ghost that interacts with Jake, which is super unusual. His name is Sawyer, and he was a teenager who shot and killed kids at a high school like the year before he went on to kill himself. And so his it's like the hurt and the pain that he experienced during life is kind of manifested into, uh, basically it's carried with him, it's been carried with him to the afterlife, and he's he's becoming more and more powerful in like the plane of the living, basically. And Sawyer's existence kind of just reshapes what Jake's what Jake knows about this other world and about his powers and stuff like that. And so this tackles a lot of like racial issues. It has it talks about sexual abuse, child sexual abuse. And then I was like, that's the part that's like, ooh, that like really got me. That like hit me and that was like terrible. It was like, you know, reading about it was terrible. And so, yeah, it's interesting how things get resolved because, well, I don't want to give it away, but I was just like, it was such a powerful moment. Like when Jake, like towards the end, I guess, kind of like the climax. Yeah. I'm not going to give that away because I want y'all to experience that. But um, yeah, there's also a, a romance like subplot that's really sweet um, for Jake and, He's just like trying to figure out how to be himself. Um, he's not out yet. He's trying to figure that out. He's trying to figure out his powers as a medium, trying to figure out the racism, the microaggressions, all of that going on in his school. And he's just trying to make it. And then, um, Sawyer comes along and just mucks everything up. And, um, if you listen to the audiobook, it's cool because, uh, the, the narrator kind of switches his tone for each character because it's like, each chapter is narrated by Jake and then Sawyer and Sawyer's story gets told. It kind of like leads up until the moment that he killed everybody. So it's interesting. I would like to see another book that's part of like a sequel. Basically, I would be super down for that. But that is The Taking of Jake Livingston by Brian Douglas. I keep meaning to read that book too. That's good. All right. My next pick is All These Bodies by um, Kendra Blake. And this one I read last year, I believe. And it is really creepy. It is about, it's set in 1958. And it's about this teenage boy named Michael. And he lives, I believe, in a small town in Minnesota. And throughout the summer of 1958, the entire Midwest has been rocked by the series of murders. And they are con- they assume that they're connected and that there's a serial killer on the loose. Because even though there's no um, connection between the victims and there's no pattern to like who the killer is targeting... They all have the same M.O., which is the bodies are just discovered completely drained of blood. And there's like no blood anywhere that anybody can find. Um, So obviously that gets like a lot of rumors going and people are like, oh, no, it's a vampire. But, you know, vampires don't exist. Right. And Michael is the son of the town, like the local sheriff. And he 
is with his dad, actually, when they get this call that this family out on a farmhouse has been murdered. And so they go out there and, you know, this is like 1958. So it's very much in the day of like it's small town. There's the sheriff. They get a call. He like rounds up just a bunch of local men and boys to like go and check it out because he doesn't really have like a huge police force. He has like two deputies. And so they go out there and that is when they discover that, yes, indeed, this family has been murdered. It's like the same MO, their bodies completely drained with blood. However, one difference, and that is this time there is a 15-year-old girl who nobody knows who she is. Like she's just this random 15-year-old girl. She's at the scene too, and she is completely covered in blood. And there's not like blood all over the scene. It's just like, no, she's just standing there in the middle of the room covered in blood. Oh my God. And yeah, so obviously it's really, really weird. And everyone's like, what the heck? And so they take her into custody and nobody really thinks at first that like she could be the killer because she's just this quiet, small teenage girl. But she refuses to say like how she got there, who she is, um, what happened. And that gets everybody's suspicions up. And so they just kind of assume that, like, she knows who the killer is or she's an accomplice. And she refuses to talk to anybody except for Michael, which works out well for him because he wants to be a journalist one day. And so he thinks he's going to get this great story. Um, However, she's only telling him bits and pieces of her story. And she makes a deal with him, which is, like, she will tell him what really happened. But, like, he has to listen to her entire story. And um, he has to not, like, rush her, basically. Um, So the book takes place, it kind of unfolds over the course of, I can't remember if it's a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And it really challenges a lot of Michael's worldviews and his opinions and his thoughts on, like, what is really going on in this case. Um, It's more of, like, a slow burn, slow build sort of suspenseful horror novel. But there were some parts that got really scary. Mm. And I think if you like a book where you are kind of wondering, like, is it supernatural? I was just about to say that. Yeah. And I'm not going to say if it's supernatural or not, because I think you need to, like, read it and experience it for yourself. But it was really interesting. And I have not really read a ton by Kendra Blake. I know that she also wrote um, Anna Dressed in Blood, which was really popular when it first came out. Um, And that is a supernatural horror novel. So, yeah, just go into this with an open mind and see where it takes you. I think that the ending, like, the ending would be interesting to discuss with people because I think it will have people feeling all different ways about Mm. how it ends. So it's one of those. But yeah, that's all these bodies. That's awesome. And yeah, I like that you said that that adds another element to stories when it's like, is this supernatural or is this someone who is just terrible? And that's, that is, that makes reading it like you want to read it more even with that. Exactly. You need the answer. Exactly. I need to know. So my next book is Bad Witch Burning by Jessica Lewis. It's another one that uh, I feel like at the heart of the story, like it has fantastical elements. Um, it's called Bad Witch. The witch is literal. Um, main character Cottrell can talk to dead people. Which is also like Jake Livingston-ish kind of. But um, what's at like the core of the story is is just realistic is child abuse child neglect poverty you know um, socioeconomic factors and that from that the rest of the story emerges with like fantastical elements but like i said like a lot of the stuff at the core of the story is stuff that people experience in our you know in our world so basically <laughs> not to say too this compares Again, I read this a while, uh, a minute ago and I just wanted to refresh my, um, like, remember the character names and stuff. It compares it to Lovecraft Country and Candyman. And I was like, are y'all just saying stuff that has black people in it? It was not like those things at all. I don't understand the book form comparison sometimes. But anyway, Bad Witch Burning is about Cottrell. She's a teenager. She can talk to the dead. She uses this power to make money. And she basically uh, supports herself, her unemployed mother, and whatever her mom drags in from wherever, 
you know, deadbeat boyfriend. And so they're broke all the time. And so Catral will do these like readings basically for people, um, let them speak to dead loved ones, stuff like that. She recently found out she has this other power though, which is that she can raise people from the dead. So she realizes that obviously instead of just being a bridge for people to speak to their deceased loved ones, like raising them from the dead would fetch even more money. So she starts doing that for even more money than she was being paid before. And that starts to attract attention because all of a sudden she is, um, she's not really going to school. She's having more luxurious things. And people are like, where are you getting this money from? It's like, are you selling drugs? <laughs> it's like, no, she is performing uh, necromancy, I guess. Basically. <laughs> um, like you do. It's, it's not like you do. It's not drugs. It's necromancy, mom. Um, so so it's interesting because um, she has this best friend who is, and I like the best friend. I feel like I've known people like that who try to with like make themselves so small and they kind of get into it because her and the friend, well, the friend tries to tell Cottrell about her mom and she doesn't listen. So Cottrell's hard headed, but it's also like you kind of understand because it's her mother and she has that connection to her. But I think this is a good book that shows, this book rather is good in showing really dysfunctional family ties and how those um, perpetuate. And then it also got really creepy. And I didn't know, like, I didn't really, I wasn't sure what was going to happen next because something interesting, well, (laughs) even more interesting, something interesting happens with the people she uh, brings back life Mm. they start acting interestingly and they get really creepy like their behavior gets super creepy it gets and her she kind of spirals pardon me she herself kind of spirals and then she has these reincarnated people incarnated is not the right word people that are brought back to life from the dead and so you don't know which which way it's going to go. I'm not going to spoil it. It's creepy though. I will say that. But I also have to say, content warning. Well, I mean, this is horror. So this is, you know, it's scary. There's blood, there's gore, but like, yeah, child abuse, family abuse, child neglect and stuff like that. But yes. So Bad Witch Burning by Jessica Lewis. Yeah, it was a ride. (laughs) (laughs) It was a ride. I, that one has been on my list as well, mm-hmm. and it has a great cover. Yes, the cover is awesome. All right, we are going to tell you about our next sponsor, and then we'll be back in a second. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santángel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Publishing. So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. 
The story could make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at amazon.com slash a killing on the hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some depression era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, um, so full disclosure, my next pick is one that I just picked up and I have not had the chance to um, read beyond like the first couple chapters, Um, but I'm super into it. It is Dead Flip by Sarah Farazin. And if you are looking for something that will give you like... I know Stranger Things is one of those things that just gets comped so many times. Yeah. Um, Stranger Things and or if you want like the retro vibes of Paper Girls, which I just, Ooh. you know, I read the the um, comic series a while back, um, but then I just watched the TV show on Amazon and I really liked it. Um, but Dead Flip is set in 1992 and It is about Corey, who, when she was 12 years old, she had two best friends, Maz and Sam, and they, like, loved Halloween, and they liked creepy things, and they also loved arcade games, and when they were 12... Sam went missing, like just disappeared. It was obviously a really traumatic thing. And in the ensuing years, Corey and Maz like have stopped speaking to each other. They've kind of grown apart. Um, And partly because of Sam's disappearance, because Corey is like a bit more pragmatic and is certain that like Sam's probably dead. Mm -hmm. Um, But Maz has this theory that he was kidnapped by a supernatural pinball machine. Okay. Obviously, that sounds a little, you know, just impossible. So Corey's like, yeah, no, probably not. Um, (laughs) And so at this point, they're in high school. Maz is like very much partying, not really facing up to his past. Um, Corey has transformed into this like homecoming queen. And she, you know, still like loves horror movies. And she's also secretly queer. But that's not something that she really shares at her high school. But then everything changes when Sam returns. But he's somehow still his 12-year-old self, while Maz and Corey obviously have grown up and are now 17. Um, So Maz and Corey have to basically reunite to kind of figure out, um, you know, what really happened to Sam. Um, So this is horror and it's also got some nostalgia if you are I mean I say nostalgia like most teens these days were not you know born in the 2000s and I I mean like I was born in the 90s so I remember the 90s a little bit but um yeah it wouldn't be nostalgia for them technically because yeah it's like the equivalent of us in high school being like, oh, the 80s, the 80s were so awesome. And it's like, yeah, yeah we, we were not born in the 80s. But low key, though, I feel like I feel like this generation <laughs> does reach back a lot. The, like the new generation, like Gen Z. Yeah. Um, my, bro- my youngest brother is Gen Z and he was born in 1999, like at the very end of 1999. And one mm-hmm. time he was like, ask, he was, he was like, I'm a 90s baby. And I was like, yeah. you don't remember the 90s. You are not a 90s baby. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know why you elder millennials have to be so mean to us Gen Zs. And I was like, excuse you. I am not an elder millennial. I'm, I'm solidly in the middle of the millennials. Mid millennial. <laughs> You're just millennial. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know it was very rude. The rudeness of the youth. <laughs> um, <laughs> not to be like, get off my lawn. Get off but my lawn. It, it's, it, I think it's totally a thing, though. You are seeing yeah. like this sort of like nostalgia and or turning back to the 90s, which I find very fascinating yeah. in a weird way. And like um, speaking of horror in the 90s, like Christopher Pike's... Um, book has just like been made into a new netflix series um Mm. the midnight hour or the midnight club excuse me the midnight club and it's on netflix and um like that was like a total 90s book and and now it's been you know adapted so i think it's kind of interesting but yeah i'm i'm fine with it i'm into it it's kind of fun i'm into it too i like i like what they're doing with the 
stuff. It, it, it's nostalgic for me. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Dead Flip by Sarah Farazan. And Sarah Farazan's also the same YA author who wrote tell me again how a crush should feel and if you could be mine and here to stay. So this is kind of like a, a genre um, sort of swerve for her, but I, you know, I was super into it. I read the first chapter standing in a Barnes and Noble and I was like, well, this is coming home with me. I'm already like, I want to know what happens and I haven't even read, read it. I'm just like, how is he still going? Uh, I know, right? Was the penalty? <laughs> like, I'm super, I'm invested. So, yeah, I, that should be a good one. And I know that that came out pretty recently, too. So that's cool. Yeah, it just came out um, at the end of August. Mm, that's cool. Um, this next one I have did not come out super recently. I feel like I want to say 2018. Yes. So we got a good mix of the backlist and front list, I think. Um, it's Undead Girl Gang by yes. Lily Anderson. Yes. I love, love this book. Like, yes. It's so, it's so much fun. I feel like it also gets, I feel like, I don't know that I get super scared more. I think I got a little scared like towards the end with the climax to like reveal like what, what happened, but it's more so kind of gross, I think. Yeah, there's a moment in this book that really grossed me out. And I actually, going back to our earlier conversation, I still think about it to this day. Ah, uh, yes. There's a part, and I, is it the climax part, like towards the, like, yeah. the reveal? Yes. Yeah. I the think big I reveal. The big yeah. reveal is like, oh my God. Yeah. No, that, and that's what I think, like, with horror, to, yeah, what we were talking about earlier, horror movies, like, in the moment, and if it's nighttime and it's dark, I'm going to be like, oh, weird. But horror books, when they get into, they they tickle that like horror nerve or like whatever that is for you in particular, you'll still be thinking about them. And I still sometimes think about that scene, and I think we're yeah. talking about the same. I'm just like, Bleh. it's yep. so gross. So this is like, there's a, there's body horror in this. That let me say that. Yeah, that's the type of book this is. It's body horror. It's also kind of funny. So basically, it follows Mila Flores. It's very funny. Yes, it's so funny. Is Mila Flores. And she is Mexican and she has a bigger body and she is in this like small town called Cross Creek and she has this best friend, Riley, and they're like Wiccans or whatever. Um, but they're like, I think they're still figuring out. I don't know. They're that, baby witches. They're baby. Yeah. I don't know that this is like an accurate portrayal of, of Wicca or Wiccanisms. Wiccanisms. That's not a word. <laughs> I followed. Uh, yes. Thank you for following me down this path. Um, so, to, you know, take that with as you will. Like you said, they're baby witches. So, basically, Riley and two of their high school mean girls die under these weird circumstances. And Mila doesn't believe that, she refuses to believe that what everyone else is saying, which is that Riley and these other two girls were part of a suicide pact. Because she's like, Riley? not Riley is like you know totally like her own person and the two mean girls are more like I guess the stereotypical like popular high school girls and whatever and Riley is super duper not into that stuff so why would she be part of a suicide pocket which doesn't make sense so I wrote this is like there's like a grimoire that shows up on Mila's doorstep and obviously she looks to it for spells clearly because that's what you do when you have a spell book Abby, like I wish I had a spell book, um, you know, delivered ancient looking spell book delivered by someone mysteriously. Um, oh, and they have a mentor who is queer, I believe, and they, um, she's like, don't, don't do anything with that book. And he was like, nah, I'm a bring my friend back to life. So, as you would with an ancient spell book, um, so she ends up bringing. Riley and the other two girls back to life because she wants to find out what really happened to them. But um, they died and, you know, their brain is maybe not super, you know, just they don't remember what happened, basically. And she realizes that she only has seven days to get to the bottom of who killed them or just what happened to them. They don't know. And she has to kind of keep them. She keeps them in this like haunted. It's not haunted. It's haunted by them because they're they start looking grody. 
but she keeps them in this like abandoned house and she tries to basically work against the clock and find out how they really died, who murdered them. So it's kind of like, it's like a body horror, uh, funny murder mystery. Yes. Um, yes. And there's this, it's got, it's got, it's got a lot of good little, you know, quick quips, one liners. It's fun. It's a fun little, especially if you're like not super into like very like hardcore horror, but you want to participate in the spooky seasons. Definitely yeah. pick this up. Yes. It was fun. It's like horror light. Horror light. Exactly. Which is my speed. But I about the curse. I was just like that last scene, bro. Like that was really oh, yeah. spooky. Yeah. So it'll get you good. Like with the, it will. the imagery is, is very gross, <laughs> but like in a good <laughs> horror book way. But yeah. So Undead Girl Game by Louie Anderson. It's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you talked about that one. Uh, so my next pick is one I also have not read, but I wanted to give a shout out because I actually just got a review copy of this. And the cover is gorgeous. And I think it will be really um, something that a lot of people will enjoy. It's called The Gathering Dark, an anthology of folk horror. And it is, yeah, it's edited by Tori um, Bavolino. And it is actually kind of like a shorter anthology. Um, A lot of YA anthologies nowadays, they have like anywhere between like 12 and 15 contributors. Mm -hmm. And this anthology, I think it only has, um, well, let me think about this. Actually, I think it does have 10, 10 contributors. So it's not that much shorter, but... Um, we have Erica Waters, Chloe Gong, Courtney Gould, um, Aiden Polydoros, Hannah Witten, Allison Saft, Shakira Toussaint, Olivia Chada, and SMP Alex Brown. So they have written a, just a collection of um, short stories that really pull on like folklore horror, um, which I kind of love. Like I, one thing that I, it took me a little while to realize is that like we kind of refer to horror as like this, this one big genre yeah. and um, you know, just like historical fiction gets referred to as a genre. There's so like, there's such a wide spectrum yeah. of, historical fiction there is such a wide spectrum of horror and because really i think like the definition of horror is like content that's meant to scare and frighten so like obviously that leaves a lot of room to just kind of experiment and play around with so um and i just really like the idea of folk horror especially if you're into anything that's like you know gothic or you know, small towns and sort of like that slow sort of creeping sense of dread. Um, I think this one will be really, really good for you. So I have not read it myself, but the cover is gorgeous and I think it's going to be great. So that's The Gathering Dark, an anthology of folk horror edited by Tori Bavolino. I believe I've heard of that one and it sounds, yeah, I'm super into folk stuff too because it's like, like folklore a lot of times you well, I'm from the south, so we have many many a many a scary tale. Oh yeah. Folklore tale, whatever. I like I I feel like folklore horror hits a little different because if you've grown up hearing the story, it'll add that extra element, like it'll have that extra element of like history with it. Right. With it, and it makes it that much more creepy. So that's like I really like folk folk horror for that reason. So that's really cool. And that is also on my radar. So I'm glad you talked about it. And the cover is great. I love it. It's so it's so gorgeous. Like, just yeah. unbelievably. And so the last one I have is another by Lily Anderson. This one was released earlier this year. And I also really like this cover. It's yes. so, I don't know why, but I when I first saw it, before I read it, I felt like it was a graphic novel. I'm like, I would love to see a graphic novel version of this. Like with the same art style. It's the art style. Or just like a graphic novel written by Lily Anderson would also Honestly, be Honestly, awesome. that too. That too. So it's called Scout's Honor. Like I said, by Lily Anderson. It is about these... It's about Prudence, Prue Perry, who is a third generation Ladybird Scout. And what's interesting about the Ladybird Scouts, it's like, okay. On the cover, it shows like what they 
how they dress and they're like in this like hot pink and light pink um get up and a couple of them have pink hair they have these white gloves but then one of them has a knife that has like this purple goo on it and so it's like the juxtaposition is interesting because it's like okay they're scouts kind of like the girl scouts but a little more proper and they like serve tea and stuff but they also protect the world from these interdimensional parasites who like come in different sizes and different levels of, I guess, dangerousness. And they kind of feast, they like feast off of human emotion and the different kinds of mully grubs, as they're called, um, feast off of different kinds of human emotion. There's like some that feast off of anger, joy, sadness, all that stuff. And they kind of appear when strong feelings are concentrated in one area. Here's the thing. Prue left the ladybirds because one of her friends, uh, one of her fellow scout members was like eaten by a molly cub, like when they were 13. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> how is this okay? But she kind of gets, she gets forced back into, she gets forced back into the scouts because she wants to take this tea it's called the tea of forgetting. They have this tea that'll make you forget things. And she wants to forget about her friend being killed. Even basically, she wants to forget about the ladybird scouts. She wants to just live like a normal, like life of ignorance and not know about these terrible alien bug monsters. But to do that, she needs to gain access to that special um, tea because they don't let just anyone have access to it. You have to have you have to be like a ladybird scout leader or something. And her mom keeps pressing her to get back into it. And I have to say, the mom and the aunt, they're also into it. Um, and a lot of people, most people cannot see these molly grubs. It's either you're born with the site or you drink this other special tea that lets you know all the ladybird scouts are women, basically. And I felt like the mom and the aunt were super harsh, kind of like cold and unfeeling. There was like, oh, well, you need to go back on patrol and stop being anxious and having PTSD from your friend dying. We all have friends that died, like, you know, and I was like, well, dang. And her other scout members are kind of cold and stuff, but the group of uh, scouts that she gets, they're like, you know, related to her and stuff. So there's some reprieve from that. And I know people are nasty and mean and stuff in real life, but I was like, geez, are any, is anyone on this, in this Lady Bird Scouts? Are any of them, like, pleasant? But that might be that might be speaking to just like the awful job they have to do, which is constantly hunting these things. Um. So yeah, interesting concept. And, inter- and I think it it does talk on. I think it does say things about you know sexism and stuff, and it's interesting. There's action. There's you know there's some twists and stuff like that. There are these gigantic bug monsters that are eating little girls. It sounds ridiculous. A side note. The blurb compared it to Buffy the, the Vampire Slayer and Stranger Things. And I, I actually do see the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comparison. So I just, I only say that because sometimes, like, I feel like when you read a book blurb to get, you know, to see if you're interested in the book, I don't always come back to read the blurb after I've read the book. And so when I see these comps again, I'm just like, hmm, that's not what the book, that's not what happened. That's not what it's like, but it is kind of like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, yes, Scout's Honor by Lily Anderson. Yeah, Lily Anderson's always a good choice, I think. Always a good choice. Um, love, I've loved everything she's written. It's all really funny, but, like, also um, just, like, really good at getting to the emotional heart of the story as well. So um, that, I believe, is our show. We hope that you have... And, you know, if, you, if you're if you into the spooky stuff and you like horror, we hope that you have found something suitably scary and good to read this season. And, um, yeah, we just hope that you check out some of these books as well. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. And you can always leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, let's us know how we're doing, but also helps other people find us. Um, you can also always email us at heyya at bookriot.com with your, you know, recommendations, your requests, any of that fun stuff. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. 
Thank you again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks as always to our awesome audio editor, Jen Sink. Um, you can follow me. I hang out on Twitter and Instagram at, at Tears of Price. And Erica, how about you? I'm on Twitter occasionally at Erica underscore EZE underscore. Awesome. All right. Well, we will see you again in a couple of weeks when we are going to be doing another special book club episode. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So you heard me talk about how much I love Tiffany D. Jackson's Mm -hmm. White Smoke. Um, She has a brand new horror novel out this year called The Weight of Blood. And we are going to be discussing The Weight of Blood on our next episode. So tune in. Um, It'll probably be, let's see, will will it be a spoiler-free discussion? That's a good question. Okay, we will think about that and we will let you know. Yeah, we'll let you know at the beginning of the episode whether or not it'll be spoiler-free. But we'd highly recommend you pick up a copy if you're interested. Uh, But until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.